Well, we, um, this morning we are looking at uh, something that so many of us, I guess, deal with. Just imagine that you go to the doctor's office and you have a checkup. What, what do they do in the first few minutes yeah, you get in? You know, maybe they tell you, uh, you know, step on this scale or something like that. But most then will go and say, let me take your temperature, right? And they can do it today without even maybe touching you. You know, they can do it on your forehead very fast, very quick. And they see whether, you know, you are in a good range or whether you are too cold or something like that. Well, imagine that in uh, the church this morning, we had somebody at the door when you came in. Imagine that when you came in, you shook hands with somebody that had a device that had a device to measure your spiritual your heart temperature, your faith temperature. Imagine that somebody stood at a door and said, on a scale from 1 to 10, 1 being cold, 10 being sizzling hot, we give you a number as to where is your spiritual temperature today, where you are. You know, cold being something like, okay, you came to church, you are here, we see you, hi, welcome. Uh, you came here because your spouse said that if you don't, then uh, you won't eat lunch. Or maybe your parents said if you want to have clothes tomorrow for school, then you need to be in church. But other than that, you don't participate much. You look around. You, you seem bored. Everything is boring for you. That's cold, you know. You say, oh, these, these are a bunch of hypocrites. Why do I spend my time? I cannot wait to go home and maybe play my video games or, you know, just play with friends and you say, this church is no church again. No, all of those old stories. Who believes in that Bible anyway? At my office, you know, nobody, nobody. I mean, people think that Christians are, are old-fashioned. You know, we don't live in a Christian era anymore. We are post-Christians. Why am I in the church? You know, I'm just wasting my time. This is a, an hour wasted here. Sizzling hot, right? That's called sizzling hot. You come here. You smile to everybody. You look at people. They look so exciting. You say, hi, nice to meet you. It's good to see you again. Are you a visitor? Oh, you know, you go back to your place in the church where is your usually a warm seat waiting for you Sunday after Sunday. You sing from the bottom of your heart. Every song penetrates. Every, every word means something. You almost don't need a sermon or somebody to preach you with a Romanian accent because those songs that you sing... And everything that happens by that time, it worships you. I mean, you, you love, you come on Monday, you say, I cannot wait on Monday because I want to come here and I'm involved on Tuesday in this ministry, on Wednesday in this ministry. I go to the streams of hope on Thursday and I serve in the food pantry. I love to be a part of God's people and I love my neighbors. And you think, okay, I cannot go, wait to go home. Somebody moved into my neighborhood. I'm going to bake cookies to, today and welcome them to the neighborhood. And I'm going to tell them about Jesus. I'm going to just tell them that somebody loves them. I don't know, maybe they are Christians or not, but I'm going to care for my neighbors. And if there's something going on, like a city fest downtown in September, I'm just praying for 10. I have 10 people on my prayer list. I pray that I will be able to invite them. Some of them are from my office. Some of them are from my family, extended family. Some of the prodigal sons and daughters. I want them to know Jesus. You cannot wait to open the Bible. You cannot wait for God to talk to you, to speak to you. And you think that Jesus loves you. And you believe every word of the Bible. 
Every word you believe, everything is true. And it's God's love letter to you. And you go to troubles and you turn to God and you say, Your will, Lord, give me strength to go through it. If it's your will, take it away from me. But if not, give me strength to go through it faithfully. And that's what you do if you are sizzling hot. Now, I'm not sure where you are this morning. But let me tell you that Apostle Paul, he planted a church in Ephesus. And he knew this church very well. This was a church that he himself planted. He spent at least two plus years in this church. He knew these Christians from back to, I mean, like the back of his hand. And he was now in jail, in prison, in chains, in Rome. And he is thinking at, of them back home. And he is thinking, you know what? It's time for me to write, to write a letter to them. And I want them to be just one more degree hotter. If I can move them from six to seven on that scale... If I can increase their love, their, their walk with Jesus, if I move them, maybe they are at seven. What if I move them to eight? That would be so awesome. The entire Ephesus will hear about them again. And maybe it will spread that, that revival. It will spread in throughout Asia. Today's Turkey, right? To the other churches. And they will be encouraged. That's what I want. And that's what Paul does. Paul is in Rome, and he says, I'm going to write a letter to you to increase your spiritual temperature at least by one degree, maybe more. So, you think, what is Paul praying for you? What would you like someone to pray for you? Just think of what would you ask somebody to pray for me these things. Just think of one thing you will say to somebody, pray for me right now. Hold that your thought, and now think of Paul, and let's look together what he is praying for the Ephesians. He says this, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Can you imagine somebody praying for you that prayer? So that you can be filled. Basically it says, I want you to be sizzling, I mean hot. Really, almost like a, like a burning bush. That's what I want. I want you to be full. I want to be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I want you to experience God at the highest degree possible, spiritually speaking. So two things I think that you can summarize what Paul is saying. He certainly says, first of all, I want you to experience God's power. I want you to have power in your lives. I want you to be full of power. That's what he says. I want you to make sure that you have the power of God. How do I measure how do I measure, how do I get this power, you might say, you know? How do I get 
the power from God. And then he says simply, it is through Christ's spirit in your inner being. When you make your profession of faith, when you profess your belief in Christ, whether you grew up in the church or whether you joined the church later as an adult, something spiritually happens in your life. And that is basically something that no other person has but the Christians. There is some divine spirit coming into your spirit and unites and creates in you a new being. For if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. And that new creation is a gift from God to you and from me. It's like a new thing in you, living in you. And it says, through Christ's spirit in your inner being, I want you to have that power. I want you to have that power to know that there is something inside. To know that there is something inside. Why do you need that power? Why do you need that power of God? Because Christ needs to dwell in your hearts through faith. Christ needs, if Christ is not in you, you know, sometimes we think, oh, what's with that prayer of receiving Christ? Well, just think of this verse. Christ needs to live in your heart and in my heart. And that's what Paul says. Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I'm not sure if you have ever asked Christ to live in your heart, but that's what Paul says. So that Christ may live in your heart. And it is through faith, through faith that he lives right there in our heart. And it says then, to be rooted and established in love. Rooted is an image from agriculture. Basically, it's like a tree that is growing. An agricultural image, you have roots that go in love. And then you are established, more architectural you know, kind of design. And you are built up like a house on love. And Paul says, basically, you need this. You need to be grounded in love, built in love. You need to be established in Christ's love. There's nothing outside of Christ's love that you need, but only to be established, to live in that love. And you say, why do I need love? And that's the second thing. Why do I need love? Because without love, you don't know God. God is love. If you say that you know God, and you do not love your brother or sister, John says, then you have no idea what you're talking. Then you are deceiving yourself. So why do we need love? Because it says... How much, it basically says, the measure of your faith, how do you measure your faith is basically how much do you love? How much do you love? You say, I have faith. I can move mountains. It doesn't matter. The Bible says you need love too. Without love, you cannot claim that you are Christ's child. How much love do you need? You need enough love to love God with all your heart. And this morning you had enough love to come here. Whether or not you came forth, like I said, you know, maybe by your parents or spouse. But God brought you here. And your love for Him brought you here too. So you need to love God. You need to love your neighbors. And Christ says that you need to love those who persecute you, your enemies. You need to pray for them. You need to bless those that curse you. You need to, to be able to look into the eyes of those that hate you 
and say, I love you. You know, we live in a divided country. We are not unified. The National Day of Prayer happened this Thursday, and theme was unity. Our country is just in such a disarray because we cannot even talk together. We hate one another. And the church has to bring back the unity. Because as the church goes, as you know, the, the, the country goes. If we cannot talk and accept one another, love one another, how are we expected the society to be less hated? Right? Hatred. And then we need to love the lost. You know that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost? So how can I say that I love Jesus if I don't love what He loves? If you have a spouse or somebody that you love, and they say, this is my friend, I came to bless my friend, and you say, well, I hate that friend. You know, do you really love your, your spouse or your friend? If you love somebody, you love what they love. If you love Jesus, you love the lost. He said, I came to seek, to search, and to save the lost. So, how do, you, how do you know that you love the lost? How do you know that you love somebody? Maybe it's a niece or a nephew, or maybe a son or a daughter that is still a little bit on the edge, you know, not sure, on the fence, whether or not to believe, to, to put their trust in God. And the way to do it is to pray for them. Do you pray for them? If you love somebody, you will pray for them. Just imagine how much Jesus prayed in his life for the people that he loved. He prayed for the people that he loved. And even to Peter, to one that is going to betray him, he says, I mean to deny him, he says, Peter, I have prayed for you. I have prayed for you. What does it mean to pray for somebody? It means to wish, their, to wish their, uh, for them the best, to wish well-being, to wish good things to happen to them, blessings, joy, harmony, good life, eternal life, to wish to them to meet the Savior, Jesus Christ, to walk with Christ. You know, just imagine a family having a kid and walking a dad and a mother with maybe a three-year-old or a toddler or somebody that is little. And Jesus looking at that family and saying, you know, if you are not like that child, trusting in the mother and the father, one thing to hold the mom, mom's hand and dad's hand and just maybe be, sometimes swing, you know, just swing in their hands. If you do not trust me like that, if your faith is not like that, then you cannot enter my kingdom. You have to trust in me as that child trusts in, in the parents. And, and basically Paul says, I want you to have the same love a child has for his parents. I want you to have the same spiritual love for God, to trust Him, to have the fullness of God in your hearts, to walk with God, not to depart from God. You know what happens? You know what happens? Instead of us having the, the, to be filled with the fullness of God, we are almost like behaving, a lot of us, sometimes, all of us, like teenagers. We say, you know, how far can I go from mom and dad and still be safe. And we test. We say, you know, if I'm here, how far can I go? Why should I be in the center of God's love? Why should I be full with God's love? Or we might, what, if I, what if I leave at the edge, right? And we say, how far can I go until I am still saved? No? I am still saved now? Yeah. And we live a life on the edge because a lot of us, we don't believe that we need to stay close to God to be filled. We say, how far can I go and still 
be saved. And I would say it's a dangerous game. It's a dangerous game you play. And we play dangerous because any time you can fall, right? You say, I am safe here. Really? How do you know that you are safe there? How do you know? There's nothing guaranteed. You know, there's nothing more than we as parents pray for kids than to say, Lord, I pray that my child, my daughter, my son will love you. That's my prayer for my kids, and I'm sure that all of us as parents, we pray the same thing. We say, Lord, I love my kids. Will you reach out for them? Will you chase them? Would you increase their love for you? What if, what if you increase their love maybe this year by one degree or by two degrees? What if this year they make professional faith? That's why we pray. What if they will be faithful and they will allow the fullness of Christ, the joy of Christ? They will just stay in the middle and say, you know, no matter where I go, I am surrounded up and down, right and left, by God's love. And I want to serve this God. And when I serve this God, I look at my parents, and they are not those stupid people that I taught, but they are God's gift to me, to guide me. We pray for our kids. We don't want them to live on the edge. Let me uh, just share with you some of the things. You remember that a few weeks ago, maybe like two weeks ago, we uh, came from Korea. We went to South Korea. We went into the second largest city, among other things, to this Presbyterian church. You see, it has the, the word young in it, Su Yang Ro. And um, it was planted in 1975, almost the same age as Hillside, just a little bit younger. And uh, they built about 20 years ago or more this beautiful church, uh, downtown Busan. It's in Busan. It's on the, on, the, on the shore of the ocean towards Japan. Maybe it's the closest point towards Japan from, from South Korea. And the pastor that uh, built that church and planted the church, he started with two people, and he built the church on prayer. And in fact, he came here to Hillside for the prayer summit. And maybe you remember, we had a prayer summit just uh, recently here. And he talked about the church is built on your knees. This is a book that he wrote. And you can, you can buy it or you can just come at the end of the service and I will show it to you and maybe have some for you. But this is the church built on your knees. And he said, the church has to be built on your knees as a pastor. You have to cry for the church. And then he said, the Lord told me that even if I am thinking to build this building, I said, Lord, why should we build a, a building? And the Lord said, if one person is praying every day in that building, I will be happy. If somebody comes in that building and kneels down and prays for the city of Busan, for the lost people in Busan, for their lost family members, and for Korea, for South Korea, for North Korea, for the unification, for the gospel to go around the world, I will be happy. That's what he said. And he said, I, we, we were blessed and we built this beautiful church close to the shore. That's basically a parking lot, at the white building, you know. You push a button and they take your car and they move it in the right spot. And then you push a button when you come down and they bring you your car. <laughs> I've never seen anything like that, but it's, it's amazing. And if you, if you look around, around, the, around the street, you know, around the street, there's this training center, can you believe, seven story high. And I went there on a Sunday. Every level there is like, you know, these are two and three years old, four and five years old, six, and they, they, they learn Christ. They are training there. They are training adults. If you go up to that training center at the top, you view the harbor. It's a view just like this. It's a beautiful thing. And among other things, you see these high-risers. There's a Hyundai, you know, I-Park Tower, but there's also a Trump World Tower. 
right there. So, but Busan has been a city that was blessed. Today is the largest church in that city. But when they started, they only had a few, like maybe like a 2% Christians in Busan. Today they are over 20%. And there are many, many churches. In the Busan area, they say they have 1,800 churches. And they try to unify them to say, let's all of us as pastors, elders, deacons, people, pray for the, the gospel to save these Buddhist people, these atheists that live in our city, that they will know Christ and His love. And that's what they did. They pray hard. They love hard the city. It's amazing how the city was blessed. Korea is a, is a miracle, maybe you know, economically. You know, they are the 12th largest economy today. And there are these companies like Samsung, LG, maybe you heard about it, and Kia, and, and you know, Hyundai. And they say that God has blessed them. And among other things, they do credit Christianity and the United States for their blessings. You know, one thing between Korea and Cuba. You know, in Cuba, when I went four or five years ago, they had these billboards, and it said, Death to the imperialists. And the imperialists basically are the Americans. In South Korea, the imperialists are the Japanese. It's not like we are glad, but at least we are not us, you know? <laughs> because from 1910 to 1945, they were under the Japanese occupation. And they are so glad for what happened in the Korean War when the Americans helped to stop the communists from advancing south of the parallel 38. And every church we visited, even today, they pray for North Korea. They pray for unification. We went to an institute it's in a Christian university, of the unification, they study academically what will happen when they will unify. And that's what they encourage every church, small and big. By the way, we did go, this is a church about 30,000, 40,000 people. Every Sunday or every weekend they go through that training center. But you think that it's only on, on, a, on a weekend, on a Sunday. It's not. They have maybe seven, church, uh, seven services on a Sunday, but they have more, way more than that. So that's the city. That's the main pastor who was here at Hillside, and some of you liked his talk, right? <laughs> he tried to be as funny as he could, but uh, this is him preaching at Easter service, and I was blessed to be there. But then, um, besides Sundays, right, they have every day, they have prayer services. This is a prayer service. Um, on Sundays, the first service is at 7 o'clock, and he was preaching that Sunday at 7 o'clock, Easter Sunday. And uh, the church wasn't full, maybe like three, 4,000 people. They have like a seat uh, auditorium with 5,000. And I said, who are these people? And they said, these are the people that will stay at the church and serve in the nursery, in the Sunday school, and they will go home maybe like 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon. But they come to worship at 7 o'clock so they can be ready to stay all day long. And some of you guys from the sound system, you know what we are talking, and the worship team, right? Because you stay longer hours than everybody else. But that's what they did at 7 o'clock on Sunday. But then on, on every day, they have four or five services of prayer before you go to work. They start at 4.30 in the morning. If you work from 5 or something, make sure you come. They say, well, we can pray at home. They say, that's fine. But we just make opportunities for you. The church is almost like a train station. Everybody comes and goes. Thousands of people. And they stay there. When they say prayer, they mean like a mini worship service because they have singing, they have a lot of meditation from God's Word, and then you pray on your own as much as you want. On Friday nights, they have a special time of prayer. By the way, everybody in the church, they come with the Bibles, and I 
They are underlined and they make notes on it. It's amazing to see them. On Friday night, they have a special service every Friday from 9 o'clock. So imagine you go to the ball game, right? At 9 o'clock, you usually go someplace to rest. They go to church till about noon, mid, uh, uh, um, midnight. And some of them, on one occasion or two in the, in the, in the month, they still till 4 o'clock. Now, I left at noon that Friday, and there were little kids, 2 years old, in the church, just like we have here. And for them, it was normal to be at midnight in the church. They were laughing. Mothers were nursing right and left. It was like unbelievable. A live church at 12 o'clock at night. And I say, why are you doing Are you doing this legalistically? What's the deal? Young people were there. The youth came that night about 12 o'clock. They filled the stage and they prayed for them. Now, they do believe that if they come to the stage and somebody else prays, the church prays for the youth, they believe that they are blessed. They believe that the prayers of the people make a difference in their lives. And I say, why do you come? Because they will have choirs at at 5.30 in the morning. They will have a choir singing. I say, what on earth is this? I mean, 5.30 in the morning, who wants to sing in a choir, right? (laughs) And they said, because of the stories. Because people that do that year after year, and they've done it for like almost four decades, they said there are stories of God working in their lives. And everybody in the church says, I want that blessing too. I want God to give me the strength. I want God to fill my heart. I want to be sizzling hot. A lot of the people there, they have even a coffee. It's called the, the New Generation Coffee Shop. And uh, people can stay in the coffee shop and have studies. I saw kids play. I saw adults pray. And um, one of the welcoming teams that work with us, I said to them, we arrived there Saturday evening. And I said, why are you here this time? You know, not with your families. And I said, what made you? And how did you come to faith? And one of them, obviously, he was you know, with some scars on his face, and he looked really buff, and all his ears were like cauliflower ears, and I, I know this, this comes, and he said, you know, 10 years ago, my wife was about to leave me, and, and she prayed to God. She, she wasn't a Christian. She was a Buddhist. She went, she read a book of psychology, and then she found Christ through that book. She came to this church, and three years, she prayed for me. I was in the Korean mafia, he said. I was bad news, and I was destroying my family, but God reached down to me. And it took me four years to pray to God after I knew him what to do. And he told me, do this welcoming ministry. He says, I welcome now people, visitors. And it's my joy to be here. He served with a full heart. I will say this. He was sizzling hot. I mean, if there's a spiritual revival, there's a spiritual revival in that church. If you want to visit a church that is revived in, in Asia, you can visit that church. On Sunday, the same Sunday when we had Easter, we went in a park. The same church, like I said, they say, well, let's pray for the evangelization of our city. And uh, they got together 1,800 churches in that 4 million uh, population city. And they had this public ser- I mean, park. It's a public park. And they have an Easter service. You see, they, they spread the gospel through the Taekwondo. You know, that was amazing. i never seen anything like that. But then we were sitting down. And they, you see, there's a screen behind it's a huge screen. They will just film just as, you know, that's a huge screen there. And as we were looking, Felicia was taking pictures. And then she took pictures of us, you know, sitting down. So that's Felicia. Oops, right there. Taking this picture, basically. And uh, we were sitting down. In the United States, everybody will be on a lawn chair, right? Or some of those folding chairs. I've never seen even one whole folding chair. They were like at least... 15,000, 20,000 people there. They were all sitting on the floor. 
and they looked at me and they whispered in David's ear. They said, your parents are old. Because we were moving, they said, we are, we are old, right? And maybe sick or something because we couldn't sit as long as, I mean, how can they sit? Like three hours? <laughs> and they don't have any problems. Three hours, can you imagine that crowd? Three hours and just sitting there. Three hours. What about us? You say, what about us? You know, we, we, you know, we don't talk about careers today. You feel bad, you know. But what about us? You, maybe you, you say, you know, I cannot do what they do. But you can be more sizzling hot towards somebody. Let's say that there is somebody that comes to you. You need to be prepared, Paul says, to give them your heart. To give them an account of the hope that you have. And I will give an example. Let's say that there is a young couple. And they are not Christians. They maybe are in my neighborhood, and I have some of those. And uh, they say, you know, we live in a one-bedroom place. Our is just one bedroom. We just found out that we are pregnant with triplets. Well, I would say you will fit at Hillside so well, right? <laughs> they will. <laughs> and we need a bigger house. And uh, I, I'm looking as a father. I feel responsible. I'm looking for a better job so I can get a better loan to move into a bigger house. Um, you know, we... We don't go to church, but, you know, it's nice that, you know, would you say a prayer for us or something? Maybe it helps. So, you know, as a neighbor, you may say, yeah, I will, I will pray for you. But do, do you want me to tell you maybe what God did in my life? You don't need to share the, the, the gospel of Christ every time, but to be sizzling hot, to say, you know, you gave me, Lord, the opportunity to speak into these, people, these couple's life right now when they need something. And you worked in my life. What if I share something with them? So I will say, even if you don't share the four spiritual laws, right, how to come to Christ, you can share how God led you through a similar situation. And you may say, you know, when I was looking for a house or a better job and we needed it, this is what I did as a Christian. Do you mind me sharing with you? And I will say something like, you know, in communist Romania, the government, I, I finished high school, the government provided for me a job. I didn't have to look for it. I just got a letter at home and they said, this is where you go. But I will say, here in the United States... I was in graduate school. I was planning to go back home to Romania, and I, suddenly the door was shut. And I said, what do I do? And I came back to the seminary. I said, what do I do? I can go and do business, but I cannot do ministry in my country. And they said, if you go back to the seminary, you may have a chance. I said, would anybody hire me? I was thinking, would anybody dare to hire me from uh, Romania in a CRC church? And they said, well, just try it. So I went to another school here, you know, of, uh, of classes and stuff like that, so I can be um, part of the ministry here in the United States. And then I started to pray, pray. I said, Lord, it doesn't look good. And I said, I need to start fasting. And I started to fast. And I said, I'm going to fast skipping br uh, breakfast and lunch until, Lord, you give me an answer. And it was a summer that I was uh, doing some CPE, which is like pastoral care work at Pine Rest. It was easy for me to eat just dinners, you know, because I will drink coffee during the day. That's how I started drinking coffee, by the way. I never drank coffee before. But uh, it was a wonderful time, and I was praying and praying. And some churches later started to call. And then Hillside wrote me a letter and said, we got your name somehow. Would you apply for this position? And I started to talk to Hillside. It took about five months of interviews. And then in December, I got a call from inside, Hillside, which means like a job offer. And then it took me another three months to get my work visa, in, I mean, from a, stu a student visa to a work visa. And I started to work here. I don't know what God will do for you. But anyway, so for me, this is what he did. 
Would you like me to pray for you that he will show you the way too? Would you pray with me? Now, I challenge you to say the same thing in a hundred words. So if you go home, the challenge for you is just say something. A testimony of God's continuous work in your life. It doesn't have to be your conversion. But just try to put something in 100 words. And you will see how beautiful you will have one answer, short answer, to say to somebody who needs hope from you. And you can give an account of the hope that you have. Now let me just finish by reading the 100 words testimony of the same story that I just told you. I will say something like this. Toward the end of my postgraduate education, the, the door to church ministry in Romania was closed. I was confused. After so many years of theological education, I couldn't serve the church. In my desperation, I started to fast and pray, asking God to open a door. A couple of churches began talking with me. After five months of interviews, Hillside called me to be the pastor of outreach and pastoral care. This happened in December 2008, three months after the financial collapse. There is a God who who hears our prayers. Pray to Him, even if you don't yet believe. That's a hundred words. You can do it, right? Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks that uh, you take care of us and uh, we thank you for the power that you want us to have and the love. You want us to live in your power, in your love, but also to exuberate that power, to be full of the, of the love of Jesus and the measure of God. So we ask that you will fill our hearts so that we continue to love one another, to love the church, to love you, to allow you, Holy Spirit, to grab hold of us. So we one more time surrender all that we have to you. We belong to you, want to be used by you to bless our city, to bless our sons and daughters, our nieces and nephews, our parents and grandparents, our siblings. We ask that you will continue to use Hillside to bless this city and to bless the gospel, to bless the church and the kingdom. And may we be those instruments of your peace to those who need it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand? And if you need a a prayer with somebody, there is a prayer room here to my right. Make sure you go there before you leave. And uh, as we leave this place, you know, the the text in Ephesians ends up with a prayer. And I would like you to um, just receive the words of this prayer. It's a beautiful benediction. At the end of this prayer, Paul says these words. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably, immeasurably more than all we could ask, Or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. As you leave this place, you may go in peace.